Radical, your favorite Bitcoin podcast. I don't want to go among mad people. Oh, you can't help that. Most everyone's mad <laughs> What's up, everyone? It's your boy Kaz. I'm here to tell you about Swan Bitcoin. Swan Bitcoin is the best way right now to buy Bitcoin. They allow you to dollar cost average into it on a daily, weekly, or monthly basis and then withdraw to cold storage self-custody those keys. Don't wait for the perfect time to buy Bitcoin because the perfect time to buy Bitcoin was yesterday. Start dollar cost averaging with Swan and start sacking some sats. Go to swanbitcoin.com slash kaz. You'll get $10 worth of Bitcoin when you sign up. Hope you enjoy this episode of Down the Rabbit Hole. All right, what's up, everybody? I'm sitting here with the wolf of Bitcoins. So I know the first question that a lot of you are going to ask is who is the wolf of Bitcoins? Um, so wolf, you know, I think this is a great lead in to privacy for people. So if you want to go ahead and give an introduction of who you are and, you know, why do you go by this pseudonym or this alias? Sure. Um, first of all, thanks for having me on the show. Really appreciate it. Um, yeah, so you can call me Wolf or the Wolf of Bitcoins. It's up to you guys. Um, to be honest, I started this, uh, I started on Instagram uh, back in 2017 just for fun. Um, the whole alias and, and my account, it, I, I never expected, or I, I was never planning to become a content creator or uh, or blow up on Instagram or on TikTok or anything like that. It was, I just started it for fun. And I got a large following pretty quickly. Um, and, you know, the re reason I've kept private is just because I'm, I'm an adv advocate of privacy. Um, I think it should be up to each person what information they share um, with whoever. Um, and especially with crypto, I mean, it's it's been, I mean, not so much nowadays, but back in the day, and I've been involved in it for many, many years. It was quite a taboo um, and people looked at it, it a bit differently than they do now. So I just thought, you know, I just want to keep myself private. There's, there's no need to give my real name out. Um, you know, some of the some of my views on, on things, not just in crypto, just the world in general. <clears throat> you know, I, 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 some people would not agree with them and may, maybe they might um seem a bit anti-establishment um and taboo to some people so i just like to keep that separate from my professional life and you know i'm on linkedin for example but nobody knows uh, that i'm connected to the wolf of bitcoins um accounts they just know me as my real name and 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 me as a person so i just like to keep things separate when it comes to to crypto um and, and you know my, my my social accounts in general right i mean that's that's one of the glorious things about privacy and especially with the big movement and like the cypherpunks and really anybody around crypto sort of gets this anti-government anti-establishment sort of libertarian views on things and i totally understand that professional lifestyle and keeping that separate you know in the future for jobs and whatever it may be um so what, what is it exactly that you do and why do you do it? Um, so like, like I've mentioned, 
I'd started on social with, with the whole crypto um, accounts just for fun. Um, fast forward, I mean, three, what, 2017, it's about three years now. And I got a quite a large following on Instagram, just over 40,000 followers. And then on TikTok, over 100,000 followers now. Um, and mainly, I, I want to educate people, especially the younger generations. Um, on Bitcoin and cryptocurrency um, and the way I do it and the way I like to do it because you can't really educate too much on uh, on social media like on Instagram or TikTok with these short clips or, or images um, the, I, the way I see society right now is everyone I call it the scrolling scrolling society where everyone just scrolls through whatever social network they're on uh, a lot of times people that's where people get their news now they don't even watch the news they're just like oh this content creator is telling me daily news so people's attention spans are very short so what i like to do is, is try and capture their attentions on social media and then direct them to my discord channel where it's more personal and um, where it's not just myself on there there's other people in the industry where uh, that we all help to educate um the younger generations and, and and just people in general it doesn't have to be younger generations i mean there's there's many adults that are coming into this industry or, or interested in, in bitcoin that don't really know or understand it um so it's it's for everybody and we're just kind of trying to keep people on the right track trying to keep people away from scams because that was one of the biggest things that i i realized with social media especially on instagram is the amount of scammers um, that are using cryptocurrency to basically rob people. Um, so I, I try to do my best to um, steer people away and let people uh, know what to look for, um, especially when it comes to like mining and these these so-called binary option traders that you get messages from every day on, on Instagram. Um, some of them could be quite convincing and I just hate people, I hate seeing people losing money. So yeah, that's kind of what I do. It's, it's more of an educational thing. I, I also do, pro, I, I promote um, businesses in, in the space as well. Um, but mainly my main goal here is to onboard new users into Bitcoin um, and educate them as well on, on this whole industry. Yeah, and that's, that's so important. And that, that's really how we bring the adoption that I believe you and I and everybody else that's been in crypto for a while truly want to see. That's exactly why I'm doing this podcast is to educate people that are new to Bitcoin and are just, you know, maybe they're interested in the world and, you know, maybe they're interested from an economic perspective or a technology perspective, or, you know, maybe it's just the cool new digital thing, like, you know, that doesn't rely on governments. So I think it's really cool that you do that. And that's, that's why I really appreciate you coming on this show. Uh, it's like you're you're like the perfect guy you know you were on the same page about you know what we see in the world from what we spoke about before the podcast um and i think that's going to come to light and really the the anti-scammer is something it's just it's super big this week too right we saw probably the biggest social media scam fest that was related to bitcoin um and also revealed just a crazy amount of t twitter um I don't know, inefficiencies, bugs, whatever you want to call them. But like the fact that, you know, five or 10 
major celebrities, presidential candidates now all had their Twitters compromised and the, the hackers were, you know, demanding Bitcoin or not demanding. They were really scamming people out of Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a huge turnoff to somebody who doesn't know anything about Bitcoin and they come in. It's like maybe they buy a little bit and they lose it somehow. Like it just doesn't give Bitcoin the right rep. I really, I really don't like that because it's like whenever, whenever somebody launders money, like, you know, say a big company like Enron does something or um, like a cartel or anything like that, you know, we don't call it a dollar scam, but the, the, yeah, the day after, you know, we have this huge Twitter scam, every article was calling it a Bitcoin scam. It's like, no. It was a Twitter hack and they just happened to use Bitcoin. So like you could probably do the same thing with PayPal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean that, that Twitter hack is actually quite scary. Um, and I mean, I, I have my own opinion on this and I, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a moron. I don't really know what's going on on the inside or, or whatnot, but it was odd to me that because my, my whole take on that Twitter scam is the people literally believed that these hackers done went to the, the, the extent they did to hack something like Twitter to earn Bitcoin or to scam Bitcoin off people. And I'm of the belief that that's not the case at all. Because if these hackers really wanted to scam Bitcoin off people, instead of using Elon Musk and Biden and Obama and these celebrities that really have nothing to do with crypto, why wouldn't you use the exchange like CZ's account Binance's account, all these more believable accounts to scam Bitcoin, you would have, they would have made a lot more, right? So my take on it is it wasn't so much to try and scam people out of Bitcoin. It was more of like a message. They just had to, you know, they just used Bitcoin as, okay, we're going to hack Twitter. We're going to hack all these accounts. And then we're going to, we're going to try and make some money or try and take Bitcoin off people. And that's what they're going to focus on. Not that this could be another nation attacking Twitter. And they kind of played it off a bit. I haven't read any recent news, but from what I read the other day, it was like some anonymous hacker group done this. And it might have been something to do with an inside job or someone on the inside of Twitter. And I just don't really believe any of that. So I don't know what your thoughts are on that. I'm curious what you mean by the message. So you said it was a message. Well, um, my, my initial, like, when I think about it, you know, if you're competent enough to buy Bitcoin, which is not, I mean, a lot of people that aren't in Bitcoin don't even know how to buy it. And if you do know how to buy it, you know, if you see Joe Biden, you know, you think about Joe Biden, the dude probably doesn't know how to use a cell phone. Do you really think he's going to like give you back? You know, if you send him a Bitcoin, he's going to send you two. Dude doesn't even know what Bitcoin is. So it's like, if you're actually seasoned in Bitcoin and crypto, like, you look at that and you laugh. Like, so I, I don't understand the people that were really sending them money. I feel like that's such a small, like sliver of people that actually use Bitcoin enough to buy it. And then, I mean, exchanges like Coinbase blocked that address. So if you had money sitting on an exchange like Coinbase, which is a lot of newbies, unfortunately, they couldn't even send it there. So like that leaves such a sl- small sliver of people that could actually do it. I don't understand how I don't understand how anybody's falling for that. Uh, yeah, I mean, 
what did they make like about 100k yeah, it was not... like 120 to 150 or something like that yeah i mean it's not a massive amount but when you think about the people that have fallen for it and the amounts that were being sent probably a lot of people that sent that sent that bitcoin um to amount to over 100k so it's like it's hard to believe like i mean there's definitely people out there that just they want to they 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 missed out they understand they knew that people made a lot of money on bitcoin and they they see this opportunity and they jump right in just like those scams on youtube i see daily and i, I still don't understand why youtube don't take them down but this scam I see on YouTube. They censor everything else, but they won't yeah. censor those. Yeah, this is another thing. Like my, my whole beef with YouTube is they're very selective with what information they they censor and who they censor. But every day I see a new Bitcoin scam with fifty thousand viewers, and why is that not being taken down? So I, I do I do think there's a lot of people that would that do fall for these kind of kind of scams, unfortunately. And what and what I mean by it's set, whoever the hackers were sending the message, I think it was. It was not so much to do about trying to scam Bitcoin off people, because like I said, you, you you can't be a stupid hacker group to hack Twitter. Like they took over the API, they got around the two FA, which I still can't figure out how someone yeah. would do that. Yeah, and they went after figures that have nothing to do with cryptocurrency. If they really wanted to make money, they would have gone after the big crypto accounts and done the same thing, and probably would have made way more because more people would have fell for it. So I think it was more like we're going to hack Twitter. It's going to be a big fu to Twitter, the US, um, and you know we're going to run a Bitcoin scam at the same time while, while we're doing it. I, I don't know. I, I still don't really know what's going on in, like with with that whole thing, but it just is very odd to me that they use people like Bill Gates and Elon Musk and Biden to run a scam, but that yeah. has nothing to do with what they do. Yeah, um, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me either. The, the one piece of information that's come out that actually makes sense is the pictures that are floating around now from the Twitter sort of... So they got admin level access, right, to Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, and then these pictures surfaced of, you know, trend, shadow ban, um, mm-hmm. blacklist. Yeah. So I feel like it was more of a political message yes. of like, these are the... You know, these are the inside controls, whether they're real or not. It's a picture. I mean, who knows? So they could have easily just, you know, made a simple web page that showed that. And that's really what's surfacing. But it's like, this is this is the problem with centralized control, really, because that's what Twitter is. And I think this is, a, you know, perfect with our conversation about Bitcoin is because, you know, Bitcoin is all about decentralization and getting rid of these um massive companies that sit in the middle of something like a technology there's really no reason why twitter should exist as a company that can censor messages and can say whatever they want whether you agree with them or not um they have a bias Mm -hmm. and if they have the ability to censor something that bias is going to come to light and i think that's a problem whenever you have something that like twitter that a lot of the world uses it's the the U.S. Pre- I know you're not U.S. based, but it's like the U.S. president's <laughs> most preferred method of communication. Yep. So it, it's a huge problem whenever they can basically decide, okay, you know, this is something we agree with and this is something we don't agree with. 
Yeah, it is a huge problem. And it's not just Twitter, it's technology platforms in general. Um, There's a really big problem. And it's, I mean, if you look at YouTube years ago to now, there's a lot, there's a lot of censorship going on. And there's some things that, you, like, I believe in freedom of speech, you know, you, you should be able to say whatever the hell you want. Now, <clears throat> the problem that I'm seeing is you can go on YouTube and see the most ridiculous conspiracy theories. And then you'll see something that is like, okay, that's a good question. People should be questioning this, but then it gets censored. And then the whole thing about the, 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 the so many of my like people I know are content creators on YouTube and they're crypto focused. They're taking down their videos. They're blocking their accounts. And I'm just like, for what? I, I don't get why Bitcoin is such a big issue that you're now censoring big content creators that are talking about Bitcoin. It's like they, they, they want people to just stick within the lines if you start saying too much or asking too many questions, we're going to come after you. Like that's that's a very slippery slope, and that's very dangerous to to our freedom of speech, which I don't even believe exists anymore. Um, and like Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, all of these technology platforms that everybody is using are all becoming even more and more centralized, and and more and more censorship. And it's it needs to change. Yeah, exactly. It, because it's got that, it has that hierarchy that now governments who are ultimately the people that probably are against Bitcoin. I, I don't think YouTube has any direct threat with Bitcoin. No. Um, they but get pressured. They get pressured the, on the government. YouTube is Google, which is a massive company that has to meet the demands of the U.S. government. Mm-hmm. So if the U.S. government is ultimately which they do. They they have a vested interest in Bitcoin not becoming, you know, an actual method of exchange on a global level because that competes with the dollar. Then they they harp down on these centralized massive companies like YouTube and um, you know Twitter and Facebook and all of them to you know you know don't let this surface because more people are going to see it, more people are going to become interested in it, and whatever it is. So. I think that's the that is the problem with centralization though is because you have all of this information aggregated in one area so a big bureaucracy can come in and say you know shut it down like we're you're, and it's the same thing I don't know if you saw this which I don't want to get too down this rabbit hole because it's very polarizing in general but this the the information that youtube chose to censor during the coronavirus like blows my mind so it's like they only followed the whatever the message was at the time of the cdc Mm -hmm. whose message was constantly changing and then they they were literally blocking videos and censoring them on youtube that said you should take vitamin c vitamin d and get sunlight and exercise and take turmeric which has pretty much been like thousands of years of we know this to be true. It's just builds a healthy immune system. And they were taking down videos that were literally telling you to take vitamin C to build your immune system and take vitamin D and get sunlight because it builds your immune system. So it's like, what ultimately do they want? Like, what is the agenda there? Because that seems like you want people to get sick to me. Yeah. 
I mean, I, I have these conversations. I've been having these conversations with so many of my friends because anything that was against the, the official narrative of the pandemic was getting taken down. And like, there was a, don't get me wrong, there was a, a lot of things on their videos floating around that was just absolute garbage. Um, doesn't mean they should be taken down. I think people should make up their own minds and do their own research on everything. But then there's videos like you said, where there, there's actually really good information about, you know, boosting your immune system and your health and those getting taken down. Okay, what's going on here? What's really going on here? And the even bigger question is, why is everybody listening to a very small group of people like the CDC and, and the World Health Organization? Why aren't, why is everyone not looking at other scientists and virologists and all these alternative um, studies that are being done where they're kind of contradicting and saying, well, actually, this is really what's happening. Um, and everyone just chooses to agree and go with what a very few small amount of people are saying. And, and again, this is going back to centralization. Our yeah, data exactly. that we're getting and the information we're getting is so centralized. Yeah. What it, like we don't know what these people's agendas are. We like we don't know. Like you said, the CDC. One week they're saying one thing, the next week they're, they're completely contradicting themselves. And this is who we're trusting to get our information from. It it's beyond me. Like the, especially like in 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 these times in right now with the with the coronavirus, it's it's really shaken the world. And nobody really knows what to do or, or you know, what direction we're going to go in yet. Um, I get that. But if everyone just listens to the, the few, then that's very, very troubling. Like with, with Bitcoin, for example, just compare something like Bitcoin, which is decentralized. It, it has to come from the masses in order for something like if, if, if we want to change something about Bitcoin, for example, we want to change part of the code. It can't come from the few to the masses. It has to be the other way around. And I feel like that's how it should be with the data and information we take, we, we, we get. Why are we just accepting what a very few people are saying? We should be looking at this on a much larger scale, looking at way more studies and then making our mind up on what is reality and what is just false and lies. Absolutely. I mean, that's the definition of a democracy, which we all think we live in, which <laughs> there's no democracy. I mean, the information is not coming from the masses. And then when we talk about centralization again with these platforms, like the reason that nobody is seeing these alternative studies and these other viral virologists that are presenting this information about this pandemic that, you know, does not agree with the official narrative they're you like if you're just a normal person and you're not really like trying to find that information you're not going to see it nope. because they get silenced yep. and it's like this is the problem like you can't have these major technology platforms that are spreading knowledge and ideas the way that twitter and all these companies are and then they they get to decide like it's like okay you know we're gonna we're gonna go with this and it's like the this is what I always go back to is the incentives through all stages of society they are just not in sync. So the incentives for the people at the top level of bureaucrats, the incentives for people 
at the high levels of major companies and the average person, they don't, they're not in the sync, like they, they're not in sync with each other. Yeah. And sorry, sorry, go ahead. Just to talk about the incentives, because a, a good friend of mine, he, he said something to me once and he said, the system isn't broken, the incentives are. And what he meant by that is the system is working exactly how it's supposed to work for the people that created it. The incentives is what's broken, not the system. It's beautiful. Um, and, and that's exactly what I love about Bitcoin is the incentives work in such a way that it, it would truly bring us like these high level, like, you know, theoretical ideas that we, we like to think like these visionaries that we like to think we would like to live in, you know, a free and open society with actual free markets, you know, where people can, you know, they have the right to privacy and the like to, right to freedom and, and the knowledge stems from the masses in a, in a decentralized way. Like I think Bitcoin can, you know, bring that to society one day. I think that's what a lot of Bitcoiners really believe. I mean, that's um, what we were banking on, right? Yeah. No pun intended with the banking. <laughs> Uh, so that was that was a great tangent, and I really like to go into now. So like you you go by this this alias this pseudonym, and so in the context of financial privacy, which is something that I feel like a lot of people don't even really think about. So financial privacy is like everything that's going on in the world today. Whenever you go to a merchant, you know you swipe your credit card what data is being revealed about you and you know why is that something that you should think is important so wolf one of the things that i'm really big in this podcast about is relating it to people and their average like in their lives and it's like why should they find this important you know not because it's a technology that's going to change the world like that sounds like a high level but it's like why is something you know just like when you go to a store and you reveal you know, your address, your email address, your phone number, you know, so many things that are revealed about you whenever you use a credit card versus what we had in the past of, you know, if you pay for something in cash, you know, they don't know anything about you, which is why do they even, why do they need to know this information? And, you know, why is it important for you to have the ability to reveal what you want to reveal? And how does that relate to like, you know, Bitcoin and who you are and what you do? Yeah. I mean, when you think about cash, it's like the last private thing we have. The, the privacy, the, when you look at social media, even even though I go by an alias, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, they all know who I am. Right? I understand that and I, I'm fine with that. Um, but when you look at cash, like you said, it's there's no information being given. You're literally handing someone a, a piece of paper and you're making a transaction that transaction is private in the sense that, you know, there's not, unless you know who I am, you know, none of my information is tied to that piece of paper. If I buy something and I give you a $20 note and I get my goods, you walk away with the money, that transaction is done. I haven't given that person my, my email address, my address, nothing. <clears throat> now, cash is, I mean, I believe that we're heading into a cashless society. I see this every day here in Toronto there. I went out for dinner last night, for example, and 
I pulled out cash to pay and they said, we don't accept cash because of the coronavirus. And I said, well, that's all I have. So I, I don't know. I, I can, I'm going to leave you the exact amount. I'm not expecting change back. And they accepted it in the end. But I see this now everywhere I go where they're like, no more cash, no more cash because of this virus and, and whatever. And um, I feel that, you know, we give enough information away as it is. Why do we need to give our transactional data away? Why do these companies need this information? Well, they don't need it, but they make money from it. So what most people don't realize, and I don't think, I don't think they understand this because a lot of people say they don't care. Um, you know, when you swipe your credit card, wherever you go, it's leaving a trail um, of your, your data, you know, your name, address, date of birth. And all this is being collected and we don't know what they're really doing with it. I know they're making money with it, but like, what else could they be doing with it? You know, your, our cell phones are tracking devices, our credit cards too. You know, the governments can literally pinpoint what you, where you're going tomorrow because um, they know typically on Mondays you go here and you spend money here. And it's like, I, I don't want that information given to anybody else that, that that's it's up to me if i give that information out um so bit when it comes to bitcoin and a, a lot of people don't understand a lot of people think bitcoin is anonymous um, and it can be if you know how to use it and you and you know the right protocols and, and and know what to do to remain anonymous but bitcoin is an open ledger it's public now if i spend bitcoin somewhere and i send someone bitcoin they can easily look up my address and, and look at all the transactions and see how much money I have. So in that sense, it's not private, but there are ways to make it private and conceal that information. Um, you know, that you could use, you could, there's softwares you can use to call tumblers, right? You can tumble your coins before you buy something, or you could use another currency like Monero, which has completely private transactions. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, the Lightning Network are going to have anonymous transactions as well. So yeah, yeah. Lightning is another. Lightning is a for the people that don't know. Lightning is a layer two payment protocol built on top of Bitcoin. Um, so every single Bitcoin transaction is you know sent to the chain and validated by miners on the Lightning Network. You only have a transaction sent to the chain whenever you're actually cashing out. So let's say me and Wolf send the send payments to each other every single day, you know, very small amounts, you know, five, $10 here back and forth. We can send pretty much an infinite amount of transactions back and forth that stay in those wallets, the, the way to hold those Bitcoins in the lightning network. And then it'll only get sent to the chain whenever one of us is like, okay, uh, you know, we're going to cash out now. So let's say, you know, we bet back and forth and we bet on whatever we bet on and we're sending payments back and forth. It's like, okay, you know, I now have a full Bitcoin. I'm going to cash out that transaction will be posted to the chain. Um, so just wanted to give a, like, I always want to give the context and make sure that nobody, uh, make sure if they don't understand something, you know, they can start from zero and still follow what we're saying. So continue with what you're saying about lightning. Yeah. So, um, you know, when lightning is ready and, and it's rolled out, or even if it's not lightning in this, it's, it's another version of lightning, so, something similar, then we will have anonymous transactions with Bitcoin and you'll be able to pay for anything from a coffee to a dinner to, to whatever you want and have 
you know, anonymity and not hand your information over to, to companies and, and governments and, and whatnot. Um, and I I feel that is important, that it it's nobody's business what I'm spending my money on. Um, you know, the, the, the company I'm purchasing from, I don't know what they're doing with that um, information. I haven't given them permission, what well, I have. If I'm using my credit card, you basically give them permission to do whatever they want with that data. But <clears throat> most people don't care about that, probably because they don't understand it and what is going on behind the scenes with your data. Um, and I feel that we need to, people need to be educated on this and people need to realize that, you know, this is our transactional data is, is the last bit of privacy we really have. Um, everything else, we, we, when we download an app, we give them permission, take our data, turn on our microphones, turn on our cameras. Um, now, if you're okay with that, I mean, that's up to you. But are you okay with them taking every bit of data you have, where whatever you're spending money on? Uh, I'm not personally, but this is the thing that there, there's a lot of people that don't really care about it. And I, I feel that that's also a problem too. I think a great part of what you said is they don't care about it because they don't understand what's what what are the implications of it. Mm-hmm. So if if you were to walk up to somebody on on the side of the road and you said, "Hey," If you're, if you know, if you are using credit card payments, that information can be traced to you, and this is the way that it can affect your life. So, for example, if you know, let's say you go to the bars a lot, you spend a lot of money at the bars, you know, potentially you could have a higher insurance rate, and you don't even know it because all of this information basically is siloed behind the scenes that you can't even see and it's being bought and sold by companies, you know, all over the world. One of those could be your insurance companies. And it's like, okay, you know, and now we have things like AI, like to some degree we have AI and machine learning algorithms that can really depict and describe a person based on their financial transactions. So when you combine that data with other things from social media, you can really have a, almost a complete character of like who this person is. So then when you give them some like real life example, like insurance, it's like, well, maybe you're paying $200 a month or 500 or I mean, $50 to $200 a month more than you should be because they took one aspect of your personality based on all of this data that makes you up in this digital realm that you can't see. And they inferred this about you. And yep. this is the way that it's affecting your life. So, yeah. and and that's the, that's the one thing like I, I see what's coming when it comes to this this control, this tech, the techno, the new technologies that we have now, and you just look at China, okay? There's parts of China where everyone has a rating system, and this goes back to what you said about the data that's being siloed, and then this is affecting how people can get a job, get insurance, even travel on public transport. This exists in China, and if you believe that this won't exist here one day then you don't know what's going on and the scariest part about it is i've understood this for a long time and i these things take time they can't just implement these new systems of control in countries like america and and canada um and the rest of the world i mean in china it's a communist country they you know no one has any choice in the matter but in, in this part of the world you can't just impose these uh these new laws and these 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 systems of control on the people you have to you have to sneak these in 
right? And I feel that because of this pandemic and because of the coronavirus, everything is just happening so fast. We've gone from like, if three months ago, some, someone told me that I couldn't go into the supermarket unless I wore a mask or that they would want to take my information when I sit down at a restaurant to track COVID. I would have said, that's crazy. Three months later, this is reality now. And <clears throat> I understand like, we, we definitely was not prepared for this pandemic and we it, it has exposed a lot of the crap in our you know our health system and, and just everything in general we we need to change things in order to be more ready for when something like this happens again um but at the same time i'm seeing okay well they're changing all these laws and they're taking more about privacy and they're using covid and, and the coronavirus as the reason for health and safety we we need to track uh, COVID. So we, we need your information. Yesterday, I, I went for a coffee with my friend Jason in the morning, at just a local place here that I really like down the street from me. And one of the waitresses come out and she said, uh, I need to take your COVID tracking information. And I've never even heard of this before. What? I said, what is that? She said, oh, yeah, we just need to collect your information for um, COVID tracing, just in case there's an outbreak. And I said to her, where's this information going? She said, oh, it's not coming to us. It's going to the government. I said, well, what if I don't want to give them my information? And she's like, oh, that, that, well, that's fine too. Uh, you know, you, you, we, we, it's not mandatory. I said, uh, and I, and I, I've met this waitress a few times. She's served me coffee a few times. I said, you know what? If, if it was for you guys and you come up to me and said, you know, we, we want to collect your email and, and name, I might choose to give that to you because maybe I want promotion promotions. If you're running a promotion on something, maybe I want to see that in my emails. But I don't want to give that information to the government. And she was like, yep, yeah, no problem. And and that was that. And I was just like, what is going on? Like, this is actually happening. And it's happening so fast. And it's such a slippery slope. Because once, when you agree, when, the, when everyone just agrees to these new laws and these new systems, and they change these laws, and they write new acts, and they amend this, and they amend that, there's no going back. You can't backtrack from that. And I feel because it's happening so fast, people aren't really understanding the, you know, what, what this is going to lead to. And everyone's just agreeing. And it, I, I'm worried that, so like, I'm worried about this pandemic, not because I'm worried about the virus itself. Um, I, I don't think it's as deadly as what they told us it was. I'm more worried about the, the effects it's going to have on society and the, the 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 rights that are getting taken from us, the more privacy is getting taken from us under the guise of this pandemic. Um, it's pretty scary. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing more permanent than a temporary government policy. Yeah. I mean, we saw the the Patriot Act after 9/11 in the U.S. Um, those policies are still being used to this day, yeah. and to a greater extent. Now we have this virus come in, Apple, Android, both silently pass updates. Mm -hmm. Now that you have COVID tracing within the OS, just auto update one night, doesn't tell anybody. And yeah, granted, it's it's not being used right this second, but that capability still exists at the OS level. And it just it's a matter of time until states start rolling out mandatory COVID tracing apps. Mm -hmm. And that... Totally in agreement with you on, you know, this, this is the real problem with this pandemic is like, 
it's being used to take privacy away. And, you know, we have all this news every single day um, about the number of deaths, whether you believe that or not. And then at the same time, in the U.S., we have uh, three Republican senators that are trying to pass a law that bans end-to-end encryption. So we're doubling down on destroying the rights of privacy by, you know, tracing people's connections more than we already do. And then at the same time, we're going to say, hey, now it's illegal to use any sort of communication that is encrypted. So it's a slippery slope. I mean, it's like, where do, where do we go? I mean, we're, we're not far from Big Brother. Then when you, when you talk, when you mentioned China, right, and we relate this back to financial privacy, it's like, you know, not too long ago, there were, there were protests going on in Hong Kong. And we talk about this social credit system that exists in China. And so if you went from mainland China to Hong Kong and you took the subway to get there and you used a digital mechanism to facilitate that payment, whether it's a credit card, a debit card, whatever it is, they traced the Chinese government traced that to individuals and then they cut them off from the financial system. So they destroyed their social credit. They made it so they can't, you know, they can't travel. They can't probably can't get a bank loan. Um, who knows if they can even use the bank system anymore. So it's like now it's you're going against whatever regime is in power and the ideology that they believe in. So it's like we're going to cut you off. Yep. And if, and what you said about that can't happen in the U.S. is it's a fallacy. Like that yep. that can definitely happen. Yep. Yeah, it's going to be snuck in. It may take twenty years to get there, but that's exactly where we're marching to. And we have all these, like we've had these protests here in the U.S. Uh, around like Black Lives Matter. A lot of people have been participating in that. And like again, like let's relate it back to the individual. It's like this is what could happen. You know, mm-hmm. the president that we have right now does not agree with those. So what if you went to one of those protests? They're already COVID tracing you and they're already tracking your, your payments and your cell phone data and pretty much everything about your location. So they know that you're at those protests. So what, what happens when we start seeing retroactive charges for participating in something? You know, maybe it was peaceful. You know, there were definitely some that weren't peaceful and there were some that were. But what if you went to a peaceful protest and you're now charged uh, with terrorism? And then all of a sudden, all of your rights, I mean, that's the quickest way to destroy rights is just say, hey, you're, you're a terrorist. So, I mean, and then it's like they can cut you off from anything. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, goes, it goes back to that, that book, George Orwell's book, 1984. You know, that book was written <laughs> in the 40s. And I remember I know. the first time I read that book, I was in high school, secondary school. Um, back home in England and, you know at that point it was just a fantasy novel to me um but when you look at it now it's so relevant and it's like this is where we're heading and like you said it could take 20 years or longer but is this the type of world I want my kids to grow up in definitely not and a lot of people when I talk to them about this they're like oh well you know there's nothing we can do about it we're you know this is just reality now. We're, we're going to die, and uh, you know, whenever we, we're going to die in our seventies, eighties, and that's going to be it. But I'm like, okay, but what about your kids? What about your grandkids? You know, did, like, forget us. Did, you know, it's it's too late for us. I think. You mean I, I don't think this. We're going to backtrack from this in our lifetime. 
but it's like what what do what kind of world do we want our children to grow up in that that's that's the question you've got to ask yourself so with that being said how is bitcoin something that you think can solve some of these issues that we're seeing because that's ultimately what i believe i think bitcoin is the answer to everything we've been talking about and some of the principles that surround bitcoin um, can apply to companies and and not just the way we use our money and the way that we spend our money um, but just from the powers of hierarchical centralized entities can change yeah i mean when you look at bitcoin it's you know it has so many properties like it's non-sovereign censorship resistant governed and verified by open source code um you know tried and tested by the people built by the people for the people it's the people's money um and you know going back to like currency control and where i believe like i said i believe we're going into the cashless society i believe that um the the digital dollar is coming they already got it in china that bank of england are looking into this america canada all these other countries this is where we're heading and then once the dollar's digital then that's it there's no more privacy and it's not sense and like the dollar once it's digital is not going to be censorship resistant if they don't like something that you've done they can just cut you off close freeze your bank account they can do that now right with with your money if like i, I use this example with people they're like well why why do you use bitcoin um, like what, what, what use do you do? Like, give me an example of how you use Bitcoin. So I'm like, okay, I travel between Canada and England. I'm from London, England, grew, born and raised there. My fat, all my family live there still. I travel back there sometimes two, three times a year and I'll take Bitcoin with me. I'll put it on a ledger. I'll cross borders with it. I'll sell it for cash when I'm in England. Now try taking cash across a border over ten thousand dollars you get <laughs> they'll take it off of you until they until you can prove where that money come from that's my money also yeah if i go into the bank and i want to withdraw more than ten thousand dollars i get red flagged yeah it's my bank money. secrecy act that's my anti-money laundering yeah that is my money not only that try taking ten thousand dollars out of bank and see if they have that ten thousand dollars in the bank if i walk into the bank today and say i need to withdraw even $9,000, so it's under the 10K, so maybe they won't report me. They'll tell me to come back in a couple of days when they have the money there, right? Mm -hmm. um, so this is just a few examples of where, you know, Bitcoin stands out from, from the system and why, you know, ha having no authority, no, no middleman um, is important. You know, if I can spend... You can't spend Bitcoin everywhere, like I at, at the moment, right? But <clears throat> as a store of value and to move money around, it's amazing. And the whole, I, I I do believe one day Bitcoin could be a currency. At the moment, it's not, right? It's not really used as a currency. It's it's more a store of value. It's a, it's a speculative asset. Um, but it's built to be. A currency it, it could work as a currency one day it could work as a currency right now um, so you know I, I look at it is they're saying the future that it is a world reserve currency um, it is completely decentralized it is censorship resistant 
It's a peer-to-peer currency. No one can tell me what to do with my money. No one can stop me from sending, buying, selling um, Bitcoin. Um, nothing like this exists right now. No, there's nothing like that, apart from other cryptocurrencies, of course. But I'm talking about you have, you have the state currency, we have the dollar, and we have cryptocurrency, which is like the opposite of that. And we're probably going to see corporate currencies coming in. Like I, I believe Libra will happen. I believe Amazon and Apple, all these corporations will have their own currency. And that's going to be centralized too. That can be frozen. That can be stopped. That it, the, the, the cryptocurrency is the people's money. Um, and the, the, when I realized that was a long, I'm talking about 2011, when I, I was very much into WikiLeaks. I used to follow them very closely. I was um, a big advocate of Julian Assange and, and what WikiLeaks are doing as an organization. And I'll never forget the, the bank blockade when MasterCard, PayPal, Visa, basically the government told these financial institutions, we need to cut these guys off so we can kill them. Like the only way we can destroy WikiLeaks and stop them from telling the truth is to strangle them financially. And when I saw that happen, I felt that I was like, wow, like you really can't, um, you know, they, they, when it comes to, to money, they, they, if they want to destroy you, they can you by using money against you using these financial institutions that everyone's using just basically cut you off. And then not, not long after we saw WikiLeaks post a page saying we now accept donations with Bitcoin. And I'd heard of Bitcoin before that, but that's when I kind of had my first aha moment when I was like, wow, this is censorship resistant. Like the government cannot stop someone sending Bitcoin to somebody else. And that's when I started to go down the, ra- the rabbit hole a bit. Um, I don't know if you remember that back then. I think it was 2011. Yeah, I remember that. I, I was pretty young at the time, but th- I mean, I think that's really what helped accelerate the adoption of Bitcoin during the time. Mm-hmm. And then, then we saw like with the Silk Road and Ross Ulbricht and it really, you know, it really grew kind of out of the dark web, which is where I first got introduced to Bitcoin. So mm-hmm. the 2011 was a little early for me. Um, it was more like 2015 was when really whenever I started to get into it. Uh, and that's, I feel like that stigma has stuck with Bitcoin. And it's something that bothers me a lot is like, oh, Bitcoin's just used by criminals. Like they, they think that WikiLeaks is a criminal organization and, and it was not, absolutely not. Uh, the Silk Road, you know, was was criminal. But if you believe in some of the ideologies that they were promoting, which I'm not saying I do or I don't, um, but they, they weren't doing anything that actually harmed people. It was people that, you know, they were trying to buy drugs online. Mm-hmm. That That's really what it was. So I'm very libertarian in the fact that I don't think you should, you know, nothing should be allowed that harms another person. But if you voluntarily, you know, you accept the risks and you want to do it to yourself, that doesn't affect me in my life. Like, obviously, if you do drugs and you drive, you know, that affects me. But if you want to sit in your house and do whatever you want to do, that's up to you. Like, I'm, I'm not like, I personally don't think that should be illegal. No. Um, and then we have this guy like Ross Ulbricht who was the creator, basically he took this decentralized censorship resistant currency, which was Bitcoin. And then he took this uh, this dark website through uh, Tor and he created it. 
and he basically allowed people to buy drugs online. And then, boom, this guy gets slapped with life in prison, no chance of parole. And then, I mean, I'd like to see what the outcome of, I can't remember her name, but it's the woman that basically facilitated all of the, uh, all of Jeffrey Epstein's pedophilia. Like, like she took all the bookings and i like, guarantee you her sentence is is less than his oh 100 if she lives <laughs> but yeah 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 she'll i mean obviously she'll yeah. magically die because all the cameras break and all guards went on duties and you know <laughs> the jail sales opened up only hers and then she you know whatever whatever the narrative is that comes out i, I mean i don't think i think this is a was a major shift in people's thinking too is like they stopped trusting, you know, that narrative. Mm-hmm. No one believes Jeffrey Epstein like killed himself. Oh no! Go, going back to the the whole how when Bitcoin started out, it was used by criminals on the dark web. Um, if you look at it, back then, yeah, I think you know when it first came out, the majority of transactions were probably done on the dark web. But when you look at it now, there's probably a, I don't know what the percentage is. I'm just speculating here, but I would probably say maybe like five percent of the transactions are for criminal activity let's call it okay so when you have these uh you know politicians or whoever coming out and talking about how bitcoin is just used for to launder money and for criminals have you taken a look at the dollar <laughs> yeah do you understand <laughs> like hsbc have been fined major amounts of money because they were laundering money for the mexican cartels like yeah. the dollar is used money laundering not bitcoin the majority of money laundering and criminal activity is being used via the american dollar and when you think about because i'm I'm of the same view as you i'm pretty libertarian like that where like i think as long as you're not harming anybody if you want to smoke crack at home all the power to you that's your business you know as long as you're not harming anybody that's that's up to you i don't care what people do and I watched a video of a, it was a police officer um, who basically was saying the opposite to what everyone else is saying about how he was saying he's seen a decreasing crime where people are buying drugs online now because people aren't having to go out and meet dealers in the streets. They're literally ordering their drugs online. It's getting shipped to their home. There's less violence. And he was making like an argument against it. And this is a police officer. I can't remember what state he was in. And he was making an argument against what everyone is saying about how these black markets are really bad. And he was basically saying, well, they're not actually like it. It's actually reducing crime. It's reducing violence because it's all done digitally. There's no um, no one's identities are being um, taken. And when you think about that, it's like, should these marketplaces exist or should they not exist? I I'm indifferent. Like, I don't believe that. I mean, there's some shit on the dark web that definitely should not exist. When we talk about Jeffrey Epstein and, and that whole thing, when it comes to children and there's a, there's a huge big, there's a huge problem with that. But when it comes to things like buying weed or mushrooms and stuff like that, like I, I believe that these marketplaces should exist. So, you know, it's, there's things that should exist. The things that shouldn't exist online, but like who, who's gov- who, who, who's to, to say that, Oh, we should, we should shut this down or we should blame Bitcoin for this. Like, no, if, if even if Bitcoin went away, they're just, this, these things would still exist. They just find another means of exchange. Yeah, absolutely. Too much, you know, about 
public policy and and especially things around the dark web like it get, it gets a little hairy yeah um and i really would like to just stay more on you know yes that was that was the narrative back in the day it's still to an extent is the narrative i feel like a lot of uh you know steven Mnuchin will come out and say you know the dollar isn't laundered which is complete bullshit if you actually believe that from the public standpoint you know you're not paying attention mm-hmm. and to say that these kyc laws so kyc laws like know your customer basically if you use any sort of financial service whether it's you know you're buying bitcoin on a on a regulated exchange um they take you know basically all the information they can about you from social security numbers to your address any type of PII you can think of. Um, same thing exists if you're trading stocks in the U.S. And they say that this is the way that they can get around, you know, anti-money anti-money laundering, um, which, truthfully, I believe it causes more harm than good, because you know now again it's the same thing as we're we're giving our data to all these all these organizations, and we're we have no idea how they're securing it if it's even really being secured. And we're creating these honeypots for hackers, which we've seen all, you know, we saw it with Twitter. I mean, they can really attack any target they want to, whether it's a government entity, whether it's a corporate entity, whatever it is, you know, and then all of your personal information is being revealed, um, which puts you in, in not a good place. Like, I mean, especially with, you know, if you own a ton of Bitcoin and a major Bitcoin exchange gets hacked that has your personal information, now people now know your address like that. That's not a, it's not a good place to be. Nope. Um, and these, and it's, these sorry, exchanges get hacked all the time as well. And, it's, and, and there's probably, they probably get hacked more than we actually know, you know, cause if there's a data hack and they don't steal any coins, are they go, is, is Binance really going to tell us? Oh no. <laughs> no way. So yeah, it's, it's dangerous. Definitely is. And then, like, I don't know if you see Blockfolio at all, which is this new sort of DeFi, decentralized finance company that allows you to earn interest on your crypto, Blockfi. which, yeah, BlockFi, yeah. right, yeah, uh, which totally goes against the real properties of having Bitcoin, because when you when you really own Bitcoin, it's because you know you want to be your own bank. Mm-hmm. Um, not just as a speculative investment, you know, there are people out there that do that, but when you really get down deep down the rabbit hole, you know, I I like to think of it like the matrix, you know, that's the whole metaphor for the, uh, the podcast logo Mm -hmm. is like, you know, you take the red pill, the blue pill. And then later in the matrix, when Neo's like, uh, so you're telling me I can dodge bullets. Morpheus is like, no. I'm telling you when you when you truly believe in yourself, you won't need to. So that's what I think about whenever you really get deep down the Bitcoin rabbit hole is you're not going to want to sell for dollars. Like maybe, you know, maybe if you own a ridiculous amount, but if you truly believe in the future of Bitcoin, then the dollar becomes worthless to an extent and Bitcoin is what gains value. So why would you want to sell? Let's say Bitcoin is worth a million dollars. That shows you how worthless the dollar is compared to it. So why would you want to sell? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't like spending Bitcoin. And if I do spend it, I replace it straight away with the real shit coin, which is the dollar. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. So, exactly. Like, th- there's a lot of people that have these, 
uh, like that, that love spending Bitcoin. Like they're like, yeah, like I get it, I get it. But if you go and buy a TV, I use this analogy all the time. I'm like, if you go into a store and there's a a thousand dollar TV, it's on sale, thousand dollars, and you can either pay with credit card, cash, or Bitcoin, and you choose to pay with Bitcoin, and you don't replace that Bitcoin in a couple years from now, that thousand dollar TV is going to be the most expensive TV purchase <laughs> exactly in your life. Exactly. Right? So you like for me, I don't like spending my coin. I I, I hold it, I accumulate it. Um, if you know, I, Bitcoin is a hedge against everything, not just the dollar or the, you know fiscal policy, financial um, monetary policies. It's a hedge against everything. You know, it, it to me. I don't like spending it. I don't think people, sh if, if you want to get into this from like an ideological standpoint and you, 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 you believe in this long term, then just, just hold it. Don't give it to an exchange to lend out to people. Like what, why would you do that? Yeah. It's, it's yeah. And then you don't have coin custody. So you're, you're trusting this exchange with your coins, which is very, very similar to trusting companies with your data, trusting banks with your money. Um, and these exchanges get hacked all the time. So like if you're not storing your Bitcoin securely, you're not holding it yourself in a hardware wallet um, in cold storage somehow, then it's it's just the worst way to introduce somebody that's new to this technology that may not totally understand it. They come in and they're like, oh, I can earn 10% interest on my Bitcoin if I give it to these people. And it's like, yeah, but what happens when they lose that? then you're out of everything. Yep. Yep. It's just the, the, the value case in Bitcoin from one of the value cases in Bitcoin for me is being your own bank. If like, if you have it secured storily, that's not connected to the air, like it's air gapped, not connected to the internet. You're running your own node. You are your own bank. And that's, that is the most contrarian idea for a lot of people. Yeah. And it takes a while to get there. I feel like. You have to really like this is what I want to do with this series and and especially this these like first three episodes. Uh, so like the last episode, we talked a lot about monetary policy um, and you know the central bank's reaction to this COVID excuse. And now you know here we're talking about privacy, you know more high level properties of Bitcoin. The next one will be totally focused on the technical level of what Bitcoin is, mining. You know what is Bitcoin? You know what is a distributed ledger? How does it work? All of that. Um, because I feel like you you really have to understand it to get to the point that we're at. Like, it takes a long time. I You've been on this journey since 2014. Mm -hmm. I've been on this journey for five years. It's the reason I pretty much have my corporate job. Uh, I do. I actually do enterprise blockchain work, which a lot of people in crypto hate. But, you know, it is what it is. I like it. And I think there's a need for it, um, but it's totally different than what's happening in Bitcoin. Yeah. And constantly, I mean, it's it's a rabbit hole because every day, you know, there's new development work being done on it. It's constantly changing. It inter it touches on more ideas and ideologies than just technology. It's philosophical. Mm -hmm. It's you know, it has an economic and game theory aspect to it. Um, it it influences public policy i mean it, it's really it's everything if you really start to get into it and libertarian ideology uh you know hard money austrian economics you know everything that's really 
down this rabbit hole that we keep like alluding to, it takes a while to digest it. And it before you can get there, you have to really understand it. Yeah. And that that's the, the one thing I tell everybody, because so many people, they're just like, I don't understand this Bitcoin thing. Can you explain to me in simple terms? I'm like, well, I could explain to you in simple terms. I could dumb it down for you. But in order to understand the why, okay, you can understand what Bitcoin is, right? You can explain to someone what a digital currency is and how it works from like a te- technological standpoint. And, you, and, and they'll get it. But they're like, but, but why? And to understand the why, you need to understand money. You need to understand the history of money. You need to understand the gold standard and why we're no longer on the gold standard. You need to understand what fiat currency is, where the history of fiat currency. Once you understand all of that, then you understand the why and you really understand what Bitcoin is and why it exists. Yeah, which fiat currency, by the way, has existed for less than 50 years. Yeah. Bitcoin's existed for 11. And so we talk about, you know, money's been around forever. It's like, no, th- this monetary policy that we are living in is new. Yeah. It's still an experiment. And the way that we're treating it right now is basically anytime there's a problem, we're going to print more money. It's an experiment. And we have, we've seen it in 2009, like how that reaction happened. And I think we're going to see it again um, with the response from COVID. This is kind of what we talked about last time, um, but it, it cannot continue. You cannot continue to steal money from people through inflation. Mm-hmm. And this is exactly you know when you said the buying the TV. So would you rather buy a TV with something that could gain value or lose value? Mm-hmm. So if you spend $100 on it, whatever it is, would you rather in 10 years have spent potentially a thousand dollars on that or one dollar on that you know and that's that's really what it's like whenever people spend their bitcoins versus spending dollars and i mean i personally the the shit coin is a dollar like it's gonna lose value it loses two percent a year no matter what you do supposedly because that's their targeted inflation which they actually came out this week the u.s the federal reserve said that they're gonna try to make it above two percent so it's, it's the funny thing when people um save money in their bank accounts and they're like oh yeah i get one percent a year I'm like, no you don't know you lose you're losing actually yeah. you're probably losing like a, a percent or two per year yeah keeping it in your exactly bank people don't understand that but that's not you know it's not people's faults when you look at um the school the education system we are not taught about any of this in school like what do we know when we come out of school what do we know about money I know I didn't know fuck all about money when I came out of school. You know where I learned about the economy and economic, I'm not like an, uh, an expert in economics or anything like that, but because of Bitcoin and my involvement in it, it's forced me to go and learn the history of money and, e- and you know, economics to a certain extent. Um, and, you know, I, I went and read books about the Federal Reserve, you know, and that's leveled me up as a person. And what I know now, I'm like, holy shit, imagine they taught us this in school. <laughs> and it's they don't want you to. They, they don't, don't want you to know. No, it's by design that they don't. Of course, like, yeah. otherwise the rich, there'd be a lot more rich people. And that, that divide yeah. between the rich and the, the middle class and the poor would be a lot smaller than what it is now. Um, so, and like, like you said, with the, the whole printing of money, I think in 2008, 2009, I think over like a span of two years, they printed like tr- 
two trillion dollars and they've printed what seven trillion dollars in the matter of like three months yeah like that is going to have an effect might not affect us right away but long term that's going to have a serious effect on the dollar it's going to weaken the dollar for sure um and that i believe is going to push up the prices of risk assets bitcoin being one of them Mm -hmm. what's interesting right now is if you look at bitcoin and you look at the the spx or the s p 500 right bitcoin has been following the s p 500 to the minute if you look at the charts i don't know if you've taken a look at the the, those two charts compared them they're so in sync it's crazy and my like i don't know what's going to happen like i i'm expecting the markets to correct i mean not i, I don't think it will happen till after the election um i think they're going to keep they they you know they're going to keep printing money they're going to keep buying corporate debt and wherever to, to prop up the stock markets um but what's going to happen when that money dries up and they stop printing it um and how long is it going to take and, and what price how 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 high are they going to pump the stock market dude i've I wish I knew the answer to that question. I feel like I, I feel like a lot of people wish they knew the answer to that question. It's, it's like, theoretically, it can't continue, but it's like, how long can it continue, and how high will we see it go? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think we're going to continue to see new highs. Yeah, um, with the stock market, at least until November. I think I think they can keep it up that long. We've only got a few months left, and that this is like the. I, I don't want to get too into politics because like I said, it divides people. Mm-hmm. The point of this podcast is, you know, to educate people, bring them together, talk about some ideas that could be controversial, but I don't want to alienate a lot of people with it. Mm-hmm. So the one thing I'm going to say is the, the left side of the argument is using coronavirus sort of against Trump. Mm-hmm. The right side of the argument is using the stock stock market for Trump. And it's like these two forces are just battling each other right now. Mm -hmm. And I I think, I mean, new highs by November again. I mean, we're, we're continually seeing new highs in tech and the NASDAQ. Um, I think it'll continue with like the S and P 500 and the Dow and Mm -hmm. other major indices. Yeah. no. But I think risk assets like gold and Bitcoin are also going to continue to rise at the same time. 100%. 100%. Uh, I'm, I'm of the same belief. I think that they're, uh, at least until after the election, they're going to keep pushing the markets to new highs. But like I said, with the Bitcoin following the stock market, if the NASDAQ starts reaching new highs, um, so is Bitcoin. If yeah. by November, they push the S&P to like four or 5,000 points, what's the price of Bitcoin going to be by then? Right. I I still so I've a, I've a bet with a buddy. Um, he's a big econ guy. Um, I'm sure I'll have him on the podcast at some point. We we had this bet that's been over a year now. Um, sort of will Bitcoin reach a new high? So will it cross that? Was it like nineteen five or nineteen six? Like just shy of twenty thousand. I think we'll see twenty thousand uh, before the end of the year. You know what? I was. I was of the opposite until up, up to recently. Um, I thought that after seeing Bitcoin, after the whole crash of all the markets back in February, I think it was, when mm-hmm. you know, the whole the, the whole Corona thing come to light and 
everything crashed. Up before then, I would have said no. We're not going to see new highs probably till you know a couple years or maybe twenty twenty one. But when I saw Bitcoin lose fifty percent, drop down mm-hmm. like seven thousand something to thirty eight hundred in a day. In a in a day, yeah, within a day. Like I've seen Bitcoin dump fifty percent many times, like you have, right? And it, yeah, sometimes it takes a few days or weeks or months to go back back up. I saw Bitcoin drop to thirty eight hundred dollars. And the bounce was so aggressive that, and within a month, we were back up to where we were before the drop. And then we went even higher. Yeah. That was, uh, that made me think, okay, this is not just retail. Yes. There's probably a lot of retail money coming in at that, that price, right? They were like, holy shit, $3,800, that's 50% discount and buy-in. But then you've got to think there's probably institutions buying at that price too. And that made me believe that we could see new highs again, maybe soon within the year. And then seeing Bitcoin correlated with the stock markets and knowing all the money printing that's going on and, and the, the money that's being pushed into the stock markets. Now I believe that we'll probably see those highs again, those 20,000 highs again this year. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and then we talk about like, but well, we see a 50% drop in, in March. It comes back up. It's even higher now. And then we've had so much bullish news come out, like with Paul Tudor Jones. I don't know if you saw that. This was, oh, a, yeah. this was a, yeah, I mean, one of the biggest institutional hedge fund guys comes out, writes this bullish piece. I absolutely love the article he wrote, uh, or he had somebody write, you know, yeah. who, whoever wrote it. Um, and they talk about Bitcoin being uh, the leading horse in this race mm-hmm. because of the scarcity of it. And um, I, I just think w- it's so bullish right now. I mean, we've had the lowest volatility in Bitcoin in the last like 20 days, probably ever. It's so boring, <laughs> but I love it because we're going to move one way or the other and I'm ready for it to move. Even if it goes down, I'm going to buy more like I always do, yeah. bought in that. I, I was actually scared in March when we when we dropped that much in a day. That, that was the first time in a while I've actually been a little worried. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, took took the advice that we've been just conditioned to believe for so long is just buy the dip, bought the dip, and, you know, well, here we are. Yeah, I mean, it, it would have gone lower if uh, BitMEX didn't turn off the, the exchange. You know that, right? Oh, yeah. And this is a problem too. I mean, Coinbase does the same thing. They start censoring, you know, buying, whether it's high or low, 5% pretty much. Uh, tell me more about the BitMEX one though. So um, BitMEX decided at around the 4,000 mark, once it hit 4K to turn off its trading. Um, and that probably saved the price from going to like 2K or lower. Um, because it stopped people from just piling on shorts, right? Right. Um, I was at- like, what are some ways that you earn Bitcoin or that you encourage people to earn Bitcoin outside of buying it directly and hoping that the value increases? Yeah. So in my Discord server, for example, I have a lot of young people in there. <clears throat> you know, they're up because my Discord was built off of my TikTok audience, basically. Once I put my Discord link in my TikTok, um, bio so i get a lot of people coming in from there and 
asking how, how do I make money on Bitcoin or how can I earn Bitcoin? <clears throat> and obviously you can mine it, but it's not something that most people can do because mining has become industrialized with the ASICs. Whereas before, you know, in back in the day, you could turn on your laptop and mine with your CPU. Then you went to GPUs. You know, everyone's joining the network with GPUs. And then the ASICs come along and basically industrialized mining Bitcoin. So earning Bitcoin through mining, most people can't do. So how how else can you earn Bitcoin? Well, I, I, I use Brave as an example. Even though you're not getting rewarded in Bitcoin, you get rewarded with in in BAT token you can sell that for Bitcoin so you know that's that's one way you can it's, it's small amounts but if you're a young young kid and you just want to get some skin in the game um, you can earn crypto with brave and then you can sell that bat token and into Bitcoin and then you have some bit so so what is brave explain that for people that don't know I use brave but go ahead and give them what brave is and how it works so brave is a browser just like Google Chrome, it was actually created by the same people that invented JavaScript um, and also um, Firefox, I believe. I think it's the same same guy that mm -hmm. created Firefox. So they've created it's the Mozilla guy. The Mozilla guy, yes, yeah, yep. Yeah, sorry. Um, so they've created a a browser that has a built-in ad blocker, which I love because I hate ads on YouTube mm -hmm. or whatever. So it has a built-in ad blocker. Um, or, or, on top of that, it has um, what they call Brave Rewards. So you can sign up for Brave Rewards and you agree. Uh, you basically allow Brave to show you private ads. Um, and if you click on those ads, you get rewarded with a, you know, a, a, a fraction of a BAT token. So you're, you're basically getting rewarded in crypto for your attention. Right. Um, and this is exactly when we talk about I've said that phrase so many times this podcast. I need to work on that. But this is this relates to when we were talking about earlier with all of your data being, you know, used without your permission and you see no reward from it. Mm -hmm. This is a product that actually rewards you for the use of your data. So it's and your time really. So yeah. if you're, you know, you're browsing the web, which it's a beautiful browser by the way. It's oh, yeah. the quickest browser you'll probably ever use. Um, you know, the just everything about it. It blocks malicious ads, tracking, all of that. And then it rewards you if you, you know, when you want to opt in to some of that, which is the important part of actually opting in. Like you're choosing to to look at those ads and then it pays you, um, which is, I think it's novel. I think Brave is going to, you know, dominate the browser space in the years to come. Um, but that that's, it goes back to this, you know, earning Bitcoin. I, love, I use Brave on every device. Um, I love it. Works better than Chrome. Like you said, it has the, the, the blocks out trackers and, and ads. And you earn. Like, like you get backs. Obviously, they're making money from your data too, but they're, they're giving some back to you. And I, I, right. If I'm not mistaken, I think you can like completely opt out of, of um, allowing them to use your data. I'm not 100% sure. Like obviously, you don't get rewarded for that, but you can say, no, you, you can't sell my data. Uh, yeah, then it's just a privacy-focused browser. Yeah, so yeah, that, that's that's one way you can earn Bitcoin. Um, there's there's other. I think the the one app that's interesting is that um, Lolly app, where mm -hmm. you, know, you can purchase stuff online um, that you would usually purchase, and then you earn points back. But those points you're earning back in 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 Bitcoin. 
Um, so that's that's if you're one of these people that's constantly shopping online um, and not getting rewarded for for your purchases, then that's that's another way you could earn. You could just use use these apps that reward you for purchasing. Um, what else? I mean, if if you're more technical and you're interested, uh, running a full node yes. with a Lightning node. Uh, so if you're actually like we've mentioned earlier, the Lightning Network, this Layer 2 protocol, um, whenever you set up channels between other nodes, so a node is a connection to the network, you connect with other nodes and you allow payments to be routed through your node, essentially strengthening the network, uh, you actually get rewarded in, in Satoshis. Um, so if you don't know what a Satoshi is, Satoshi is the smallest denomination of a Bitcoin, one full Bitcoin is a hundred million Satoshis. Um, so another huge, big question that everyone asks when they first get into it is like, can you buy a fraction of a Bitcoin? Yes. Uh, out to eight decimal places. Um, that eighth decimal place is one Satoshi. And I'm trying to make sats the standard. So buy sats, stack sats. Yeah, man. <laughs> we, we need to get as many people as possible to set up nodes. I think that is yeah. really going to help with um, not only mass adoption, but decentralizing the network more yeah and privacy too it goes back to everything we're talking about yeah. i mean you're not you're not giving these third-party data providers uh or exchanges like and like if you're say you're you know you're using electrum which is uh you're, this is going to get more technical for people but we're going to go down this rabbit hole a little bit but like using a node you know you're retaining more of your data and you're revealing less about yourself and if you're using that node through tor um, you know, your ISP, your, you know, your internet provider doesn't know that you're using Bitcoin. Uh, they can't geolocate you on the, like the Bitcoin network. People on the network don't know your IP address, so they don't know where you're at. Um, it's just all around, you know, it's, it's better for privacy. For sure. hundred um, percent. Man, we've gotten deep into it. We're at an hour 40 right now. Yeah. This is you have any, anything else you want to talk about? Um, let me think. What can we talk about? The one thing we haven't talked about yet is this TikTok movement. Yeah. So you, this and this this will tie into because I want at the very end do you you know kind of give your spiel again like why you do what you do and how you do it and why do you do it? Mm -hmm. um, like, so you use social media to basically bring people into Bitcoin and then you teach them the correct way to you know avoid scams and you know get involved in this this crypto in the in the right way. But lately, we've seen this big push uh, sort of stemming from the foreign policy issues between the United States and China. Obviously, TikTok being the social media app uh, based out of China that everyone is saying, now nah, you should not be using. And now this is one of your main, you know, you have a lot of followers on TikTok and everyone in the US is just like, oh, you know, you're using TikTok. I mean, you don't care about your data. <laughs> and like, we talked about this before the show, but let's explain some of the hypocrisy that's associated with this statement. Yeah. So the whole narrative that people should stop using TikTok because we're giving our data to the Chinese Communist Party. Well, what about Instagram and Facebook and Twitter? <laughs> the, these, these platforms we've been using for how many years? And that data is going to our own governments, right? So this is like, it's like a double standard. You can't 
the, you can't diss TikTok and say, oh, they're, they're stealing with data. We know they're taking data. We understand that. But yeah. we're also allowing these other platforms to take the data and not saying anything about that. So you can't, you can't just be, you know, one-sided on this. If you have an issue with these apps taking your data, you shouldn't be on any of them, right? Now, like I, for example, I actually, I made a TikTok post about this because I was just like, if you're really that um, against these companies and these apps taking your data off your cell phone, have a separate cell phone. I have my yeah. TikTok, my Instagram, any app that I know is very intrusive, I have on a cell phone that has no information on it, no content. Oh, interesting. Okay. That's one way around it. Now, the whole banning TikTok, um, I mean, we see India ban, ban TikTok recently, but that's more of a political thing, which you know, we shouldn't really get into. Um, and now America are thinking about banning TikTok. Well, it's stupid. It, it really is. You should be banning Facebook if you're going to ban TikTok. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's ridiculous. But if you, like I said, if you really are concerned about the data on your phone being being taken, then just, and I know like it's not everyone can just have another phone. Like, you know, to buy another iPhone, they're not cheap. But if you're a content creator and you're worried about it, then you should have another phone, right? That's the way I see it. Yeah, absolutely. Or you could take the more drastic measure, you know, delete your social medias um, and, you know, use a phone. Like, I don't know if you, have you seen this graphene OS, no. which is this, it's like a fork of the Android operating system that doesn't have any Google services on it. Um, it's totally like hardened and privacy focused. I believe there's a lot of the, uh, you know, like Linux contributors actually contribute to this this uh, oper phone operating system mainly. Um, but you can basically buy a two or $300 Google Pixel. You know, it's not for the non-technically savvy because you can brick a phone if you're not careful. But there are a lot of videos on YouTube that explain to you how to do this. Um, and you can basically have like a very privacy, hardened, focused uh, operating system for your phone. And then, you know, obviously don't use these uh, these other services. Interesting. You know, maybe have another phone with a different SIM card that you bought in cash that's not related to you. You know, there's a lot of things you can do. Um, but the problem is the average person is not going to do that. No. Like, but this is when we get into, like we were talking about earlier, with privacy. Privacy is something that I think people need to learn more about and you need to understand the implications of it and then you can make the decision. If you don't care, then that's up to you. Like, obviously I'm choosing to reveal myself and who I am by doing this podcast. Mm -hmm. The wolf is not, and that's different, but we both understand what our data is being used and how it's being used. Uh, and that that's really, it's privacy is a right. And I think right now in the society we're living in today, it's not a right for the average person. It's you're, you're kind of like, you have to jump through a lot of hoops to be, to remain private in pretty much anything you do. Yeah, um, absolutely. And yeah, I mean, that's about it. People think that WhatsApp is encrypted because when when you set up a WhatsApp <laughs> account, it tells you how it's end to end encryption. But are you serious? This is owned by Facebook. <laughs> it's very easy for a closed source app to say it's encrypted, exactly, because nobody can nobody can verify that. <laughs> yeah, if it's open source encrypted, you know, 
then people can actually see if it is or not mm -hmm. and they can choose to use that product so and like you said like privacy is a right and we choose to give up that right when we use these apps i know that mm -hmm. i choose to use these apps still i'm giving up my right um but we're going back to tiktok knowing that tiktok is taking data and knowing that instagram is taking data and facebook and whatnot what is worse china knowing your data or getting your data or your own government getting your data that's what you've got to ask yourself as well who would you rather give your data to the chinese or your own government so that's that's one thing i'm just like well i'd me personally if i had to give up data I'd rather China have it than the Canadian government or the or the US government. Or yeah, a government that can do something to you versus yeah. a government that can't. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole issue with people saying this is like they're okay with domestic surveillance, but they're not okay with foreign surveillance. It's it's like this whole thing is to do with TikTok just being a lot more popular than Instagram and Facebook now and and they're trying to fight back because they're losing so many users when you think about facebook like i'm not even on facebook but i remember when i when i first started facebook like i can't remember what year it was now but it was a very long time ago let's say like 10 at least 10 years ago and when you look at facebook now everyone left facebook why because their parents joined facebook <laughs> right once people's moms and dads started joining facebook they started leaving they're like i don't want to be on this anymore like i don't want my mom and dad on like seeing everything i'm doing so what did they do they went to instagram and then what happened now everyone's parents are on instagram right and people are leaving and they're going to tiktok um now i'm not saying everyone's parents are going to end up on tiktok but that's probably what's going to happen but we, we see that how people jump from these different platforms social platforms one 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 to the other and the thing with tiktok is they have a lot more users than i think instagram do now and a lot more engagement and like for me i set up my instagram account in 2017 fast forward now to 2020 i have 40,000 followers so it's taken me like three years to get 40,000 followers i set up a tiktok account five months ago and i have over a hundred thousand followers the algorithm is insane, man. Oh, yeah. The algorithm is insane. Now, that will probably change. Um, the Facebook uh, algorithm and the Instagram algorithm has changed so many times. And what happened was, because it was in 2017, the engagement on Instagram was insane. Like, we were posting and getting, you know, thousands of likes. And what, what happened was the companies that were advertising on Instagram First of all, the, the crypto companies that when crypto, when they banned crypto, so you couldn't, you could still post about crypto and Bitcoin on Instagram, but you couldn't run paid, paid ads on Instagram if it had. And I don't think you can to this day. If you had certain words like Bitcoin or crypto, you weren't allowed to run those ads anymore. So what happened was these um, companies went around Instagram and went directly to the content creators like myself and others and paid us directly to promote. And Zuckerberg didn't like that. So then he changed the algorithms to really limit engagement. Um, and I don't think it was just for, for crypto. I think a lot of other industries were doing the same thing. They were like, why am I paying Instagram all this money when I, I can pay this guy that has a lot of followers a bit of money and get the same or better results? Um, 
and I think that's probably going to happen to TikTok at, at some point. But right now, it's so fresh, and the, there are ads now. There's there's the, um, there's a lot of content creators that are, are running ads for people now. Um, but I think when TikTok finally clues on to how much money they're they're losing from these content creators working directly with the companies, I think they'll probably limit the engagement. I'm, I mean, I'm speculating here, but um, at the moment, it's insane. Like some of my posts have got millions and millions of views. I mean, you don't, you don't get anywhere close to that on Instagram. It's, it's not even yeah. a comparison. And if Instagram no don't um, either come up with a new idea and launch something new on their platform or an, another platform to compete with Instagram, um, with, with TikTok, sorry, they're going to get left behind. And I think they're working on something like that right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially if you know the U.S. decides to ban it, then it just gives these companies more time to create another another alternative that could steal market share potentially. Yeah. But I think what you mentioned is interesting about the demographics of these platforms, mm-hmm. and I think that's something that relates to Bitcoin too. So it's like we're not living in the society where uh, I, I know you game a little bit from your Discord server. I'm not sure what games you play exactly, but like Fortnite now is having concerts. Yeah where people can literally pay in a digital currency to go join in a digital world and watch a digital concert from a digitized person that actually is like a real person. Like Travis Scott's yep. concert in Fortnite got like, it was like 100,000 people or something like that. Yeah, insane. That's insane. That That's more than like any, like, like I don't, I don't know. I don't want to say it's more than any sporting event, but that that's a huge sporting event. And it was all happened digitally. Yep. And this is something that these younger generations are growing up with. That's normal. Yep. Like it is normal to buy an in-game currency, like an in-game item in a video game with a digital currency. Yep. And I think that's super bullish for things like Bitcoin. Oh, hundred. It's like, oh, this this isn't tied to a government entity and it's totally digital and I can send it anywhere in the world. Yeah. 100 like that's going to be normal <laughs> when, when you think about all, all these younger generations that are all into Fortnite and all, all these games they all have their these in-game currencies so the the new generations are uh, they understand digital currency right when bitcoin first came out there wasn't really i mean 10 years ago I'm, I'm not that much of a gamer but i don't know if there was in-game currencies back then there might there actually there was sorry there was there's a few people that you know, World of Warcraft, I think you could like mine yeah, gold in it. Yeah. And then people were figuring out they could sell that gold, that in-game gold for real money. Um, but though, though, the people back then that understood uh, the, the, that whole digital currency thing, they probably got into Bitcoin very early and made a lot of money. But now when you think about it now, fast forward 2020, when everything's going digital, um, all, all these games now, they're free to play. Uh, and the, the companies make money off of the the skins and, and everything that they're selling within the game. All these kids, they understand how digital currency works. So it's a lot easier for them to transfer to something like Bitcoin, right? They, to understand it uh, more than, um, say, someone 10 years ago looking into Bitcoin that was a gamer. Uh, I mean, and not just games. If you look at these last three months, we've had this lockdown, global lockdown, Digital companies are booming, absolutely booming. Digital marketing companies, booming. Zoom, booming. Amazon, Mm -hmm. online companies. This shift is happening and like coronavirus has accelerated that as well. Just like it's accelerated 
a lot of bad stuff and expose a lot of the cracks in in the financial systems and and whatnot. It's also done a lot of good for um, companies that are fully digital. Um, and I think, like you said, like the whole Travis Scott thing, I think that's just like one of the first ones. We're going to start having more concerts, VR concerts, um, augmented reality mm-hmm. concerts, in-game concerts, and sporting events. This is the new um, the new thing that's coming now, I believe. The new normal? The new- <laughs> <laughs> I, I hate that phrase, but it's very futuristic to think about, you know, you know, maybe we don't have some sporting events this season, and in a few years from now, you know, we're de- maybe not in a few years. Who knows when? But we're we're not far off from having VR headsets where we just anybody in the world can you know tune in to watch a sporting event mm-hmm. in virtual reality from their bedroom. Yeah, yeah. funny as you say we bring up VR. Um, I back in 2016, just before the VR headsets, you know, like the Vive and the HTC. And whatnot came to the market i set up an e-commerce store um and i picked VR, virtual reality as my niche this was the first time i ever built an online store I, I knew nothing about online e-commerce or online business but um i'm very good at seeing trends and predicting trends and i was like vr this is the future um and i set up an online store and my whole business model was going to be based around reselling um or, you know, just selling virtual reality headsets. So I built this website on Shopify and, you know, got everything ready. And then they launched these VR headsets and none of these companies would work with me because I was a small business. They would not sell to me uh, wholesale. So it kind of like threw a spanner in the works for me because that was my whole, the, the, the way I was going to make money was to buy these headsets wholesale and sell them resale through my e-commerce website. So I quickly pivoted to um, VR content creating equipment like um, modified cameras and fisheye lenses. And I actually done really, really well. For two years, I my company was booming. I was selling so many high ticket items. I'm talking about some of these lenses were thousands of dollars. Um, so to, to media companies that were making 360 videos and VR videos, um, so I was kind of in this whole VR bubble, I call it, because it was like a, a it was a bubble. It, it went, it, it was like really big for like a year or two. And then it kind of fizzled off a bit where like the tech isn't there yet. And on top of that, it wasn't being adopted quite yet. But now fast forward, we're now in 2020. I'm thinking, well, I was too early um, for that, for that. But now this is coming. And I don't think it's going to be so much just VR. I think it's going to be more AR, augmented reality, mm-hmm. than anything. Absolutely. But I do see this VR, AR business as bubbling right now. And because of this whole coronavirus, I think this is like the match that's being lit underneath it all again um, to take off and actually be used for sporting events. And that's an interesting connection right there. Relating COVID to this, I mean, we've seen it in other industries, but I did not think about VR until you just said that. Wow! And like new home sales, I mean, I'm sure real estate, digital real estate, oh. AR VR is going to be huge. Um, sporting events, like you mentioned, wow, that's interesting. So a friend of mine works for a company here in Canada that created 
cameras that do virtual tours for real estate agents. They have never been busier in these last three months. They have never been busier. <laughs> Which obviously you, that's expected. But now that everything, you know, the lockdown is starting to ease a bit. And are we going to go back to viewing houses the same? Or is it all going to be online in VR? It's, it's going to be, it's hard to tell. It is. And in seeing these major paradigm shifts in technology, it's in some ways it's a singularity because you, you don't know. It, it, I mean, in some, you know, some demographics may want to see houses in person, but, you know, like we're talking about with younger generation that everything they've known is digital. Mm-hmm. Maybe that drives this acceleration forward and that becomes, you know, the preferred mechanism to view houses and sports and whatever it is. And, you know, I, I can't even imagine the implications that are in real estate for sporting teams. You know, we're talking about the commercial side of things, mm-hmm. um, how that changes whenever no one's actually going to the venue. Yeah. Like the Raptors, for example, here in Toronto, you know, if you had a season ticket for 2020, man, they, they won't even, so they're not even giving the money back. They're basically saying, no, we're not going to give you your money back for your season ticket you purchased. We're just going to give you the, the next year's one, right? Like the the Toronto Maple Leafs, the, the, the soccer team here, like no one is going to these events. Like they, they're not even on anymore. So when everything gets turned back on again, it's going to be interesting to see how many people actually go to these events now, right? Are these stadiums, right. these stadiums are getting slapped, like sold out, like boom. Um, what's going to happen now? Right? When when these basketball teams are playing again, are they going to be empty stadiums? Are more people going to be watching it on TV or watching it in VR? It's going to be interesting to see, that's for sure. Right. Same thing with movie theaters too. I mean, movie theaters are going to have to make a big, you know, digital push to compete with like Netflix and Amazon because, dude, I don't see people going back to movies for a while, for a while, honestly. And if you could, if they could make like some mechanism to, you know, you know, rent movies through AMC that are coming out, and I think they have some preferred deal, you know, with the people that create the movies compared to Netflix or Amazon. So if AMC wants to be able to compete um, in that space, they've got to create something. Otherwise, I just see like you're going to be able to rent the newest movies on Amazon. You'll probably have to pay a little bit more money than just a normal rental, but. Dude, I don't, I don't know if I see a big push to get people back into movie theaters anytime soon. No, I don't either. And, and this is another thing that, that the coronavirus has really done is exposed businesses that maybe shouldn't exist. or like At least brick and mortars businesses. Yeah. I mean, their business model is just going to have to change to be more digital. Yeah. There's, there's no reason for these companies to be paying all these overhead costs. And when they could do something and provide a service that's totally digital. Absolutely. And this is not, I, I don't think that this is, um, and not just with like cinemas and, and things like that. Like, look at how many of these companies, brick and mortar companies are going under. Um, this would have happened anyway. It yeah, it was coming. It was, it was coming. And this is what I keep saying to people. Not just with that, like with the whole, um, the whole printing of, 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 of all this money, they would have had to have done it anyway. You know, it, it Corona just accelerated all of it, just completely yeah. just went, right, we've got to do all this now, 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 now. 
this would have all happened over time. So, you know, this is just forcing people to adapt quicker now and, and, and move on to, the, to, to things that make more sense. And, you know, there's a lot of businesses that shouldn't, that, you know, why, why does this business exist? It, it shouldn't. And now it doesn't. So now, and obviously there's a bad side to it too, because there's a lot of small businesses, mom and pop businesses that are struggling and going under because of the lockdown. And, you know, my, my whole stance on this from the beginning is like this, this whole global lockdown, this should not, everyone shouldn't be thrown into the same bucket. Not every area is the same, right? Mm -hmm. Florida has all these cases. Maybe there should be, uh, you know, some tighter rules in Florida, but like here in Toronto, there's like barely any cases and businesses are still locked down. Um, I think that's wrong. If I have a business, I should be able to choose whether I go and open my business. And if I want to risk getting sick, that should be down to me. Mm -hmm. uh, and this has been my whole like beef with this whole, the, the way they, they, that they reacted to, to all this. There's a lot of good people that have businesses that should be allowed to go and work. I mean, if Elon Musk can go and say, F you, I'm going to open my um my manufacturing plant in California, or I don't care what you guys have to say. If you have something to say, I'll go open somewhere else. Right. And Elon can do what he wants. Obviously, you know, that's, that's a bit different when you're Elon Musk level, but small businesses should be allowed to say the same thing. If I want to go and open my business and risk getting sick, I should be able to. Um, so as you know, there's definitely a lot of good coming from, from this i mean a lot of businesses that shouldn't be uh, in business are going under now um allowing newer businesses to to innovate but at the same time there's a lot of businesses that you know are struggling and going under that maybe shouldn't it's sad it's a sad time man it is sad it's sad when you look at huge companies like you mentioned you know walmart's allowed to stay open yeah. but the mom and pop shops are you know going bankrupt and they're not going to be able to reopen and then, you know, these big companies are going bankrupt and they're getting bailed out. And it's, it's really sad to see yeah. where the money is coming from with this, with the response from this. The billionaires um, made more money during this than ever. Oh, yeah. Uh, we talked about this in the last episode. It's this, it's the cotillion effect, like that Austrian economics term, whenever you print money and the way that that's distributed back to the public, it goes, it's funneled through the banks and big businesses. So the rich get rewarded first. And then, you know, the middle class ends up having to pay the blunt of that through inflation mm -hmm. and higher taxes. Yep. Uh, and I, I'm not a big universal basic in income person. Um, I think it, you know, it, it, I don't think it's the right solution to just print money and give it to people. It's, it's going to be a slippery slope with the effects of that, which mm -hmm. this could be a whole other podcast. So I don't want to go too deep down this rabbit hole. But when you look at, universal basic income compared to QE, I think it's, I think it's better because it's, you know, it actually helps people more than it helps whenever you just print money and give it to businesses. And then the say you look at the list of some of the businesses that got money and it's like, dude, they're, they're not even really us based. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's insane how some of these businesses got money. And then you look at, you know, huge businesses that have, you know, ample cash on hand. They got, they got their bonds bought and like, it's like, why are you, why are you buying the debt of these companies that don't even need it? It's totally, there's so many things about this coronavirus response just don't make sense to me. I mean, but they do make sense. 
<laughs> when you think about it, they make sense. It's the incentives. Yeah, it goes back to the incentives that we were talking about. Yep. So it makes sense for the people at the top. Exactly. Yep. Right. So I want, to, I want to be cognizant of your time. We've already two hours on the podcast, an hour before. This has been a great session. I've yeah, enjoyed it a lot. I've been enjoying it for sure. Yeah. So I want to give you a chance again, if you want to link people, um, obviously I'm going to put, you know, all your social medias, your website, everything that you do in the show notes so people can easily find you. Um, but if you want to, you know, give your website name, whatever it is you want to do, explain again what you're doing, why you're doing it. I think it's awesome. I love that you're trying to help the Bitcoin community in this way, getting new people into Bitcoin, teaching them the, the right ropes. And that's exactly what I'm trying to do. So I've enjoyed that you've spent this much time. You've come on the show, had a great conversation. This is awesome. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Like I said, that was a uh, really nice of you. And it's been uh, very enjoyable as well, having these conversations. Um, if your viewers do want to, or your listeners do want to um, find me on Instagram and on TikTok, my handle is the same. It's the wolf of Bitcoins. Um, Discord. I'm going to have to give you my link to put in um, to put in there so people can join my Discord server. Um, my website is thewolfofbitcoins.com. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm all, I'm all about crypto and Bitcoin, um, you know, helping people to go in the right direction instead of going down the wrong direction, trying to avoid the, the, the scammers out there. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, all, it's all about education, man. It's, the, for me, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency is going to play a much bigger part for the future generations than for us. Um, and onboarding those future generations um, in the right way, um, letting them know what's what is, is very important with, for mass adoption. Um, you know, right now, if you look at the industry, it's very small. There's a very small percentage of people that are involved in crypto. And if you look at how it's being promoted, it's being promoted to the same people that are already in. Right. Um, and I think it needs to be promoted more to the younger generations in a way that's educational. Um, and that's what I'm just trying to do. I'm trying to do my part. Um, I, I would never, I never got onto these social platforms to become famous. That's why I don't even have my real name or my face on there. I don't care about any of that. Um, you know, I, I'm here to educate as much as I can. I'm not an expert in anything. You know, I, am not an economist. Um, I, from a technical standpoint, I, I understand as much as the next man. I'm not fully technical in the sense that I, I couldn't explain to you exactly how Bitcoin works from a technical standpoint. Um, but what I do know, I like to share my knowledge and hopefully it helps people and hopefully it onboards them into something better than the US dollar or some kind of corporate currency or Libra when it, when it comes out. So yeah, just going to continue doing my part. Awesome, man. Hey, appreciate it. It was an awesome session. Thank you.